Section 21 of Great Epochs in American History, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Great Epochs in American History, Volume 2. The Planting of the First Colonies, 1562 to 1733. By Francis Whiting Halsey. Section 21 Witchcraft in New England, 1647 to 1696, by John G. Palfrey. The people of Massachusetts in the 17th century, like all other Christian people at that time and later, at least with extremely rare individual exceptions, believed in the reality of a hideous crime called witchcraft. They thought they had scripture for that belief and they knew they had law for it, explicit and abundant. And with them law and scripture were absolute authorities for the regulation of opinion and of conduct. In a few instances, witches were believed to have appeared in the earlier years of New England, but the cases had been sporadic. The first instance of an execution for witchcraft is said to have occurred in Connecticut soon after the settlement, 1647, May 30th, but the circumstances are not known, and the fact has been doubted. A year later, one Margaret Jones of Charlestown in Massachusetts, and it has been said two other women in Dorchester and Cambridge, were convicted and executed for the goblin crime. These cases appear to have excited no more attention than would have been given to the commission of any other felony, and no judicial record of them survives. With three or four exceptions, for the evidence respecting the asserted sufferers at Dorchester and Cambridge is imperfect, no person appears to have been punished for witchcraft in Massachusetts, nor convicted of it for more than sixty years after the settlement, though there had been three or four trials of other persons suspected of the crime. At the time when the question respecting the colonial charter was rapidly approaching an issue, and the public mind was in feverish agitation, the minister sent out a paper of proposals for collecting facts concerning witchcraft, 1681. This brought out a work from President Mather entitled Illustrious Providences, in which that influential person related numerous stories of the performances of persons leagued with the devil, 1684. The imagination of his restless young son was stimulated and circumstances fed the flame. In the last year of the government of Andros, 1688, a daughter, 13 years old, of John Goodwin, a mason living in the south end of Boston, had a quarrel with an Irish washerwoman about some missing clothes. The woman's mother took it up and scolded provokingly. Thereupon the wicked child, profiting, as it seems, by what she had been hearing and reading on the mysterious subject, cried out upon her, as the phrase was, as a witch, and proceeded to act the part understood to be fit for a bewitched person, in which behavior she was presently joined by three others of the circle, one of them only four or five years old. Now they would lose their hearing, now their sight, now their speech, and sometimes all three faculties at once. They mewed like kittens, they barked like dogs. Cotton Mather prayed with one of them, but she lost her hearing, he says, when he began, and recovered it as soon as he finished. Four Boston ministers, and one of Charlestown, 
held a meeting and passed a day in fasting and prayer by which exorcism the youngest imp was delivered the poor woman crazed with all this pother if in her right mind before and defending herself unskilfully in her foreign gibberish and with the volubility of her race was interpreted as making some confession a gossiping witness testified that six years before she had heard another woman say that she had seen the accused come down a chimney she was required to repeat the lord's prayer in english an approved test but being a catholic she had never learnt it in that language she could recite it after a fashion in latin but she was no scholar and made some mistakes the helpless wretch was convicted and sent to the gallows cotton mather took the oldest afflicted girl to his house where she dexterously played upon his self-conceit to stimulate his credulity she satisfied him that satan regarded him as his most terrible enemy and avoided him with especial awe when he prayed or read in the bible she was seized with convulsion fits when he called to family devotion she would whistle and sing and scream and pretend to try to strike and kick him but her blows would be stopped before reaching his body indicating that he was unassailable by the evil one mather published an account of these transactions with a collection of other appropriate matter the treatise circulated not only in massachusetts but widely also in england where it obtained the warm commendations of richard baxter and it may be supposed to have had an important effect in producing the more disastrous delusion which followed three years after the goodwood children soon got well in other words they were tired of their atrocious foolery and the death of their victim gave them a pretense for a return to decent behavior martha corey and rebecca nurse were cried out against both were church members of excellent character the latter seventy years of age they were examined by the same magistrates and sent to prison and with them a child of sarah good only four or five years old also charged with diabolical practices mr paris preached upon the text have not i chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil sarah cloyce understanding the allusion to be to nurse who was her sister went out of church and was accordingly cried out upon examined and committed elizabeth proctor was another person charged the deputy governor and five magistrates came to salem for the examination of the two prisoners last named proctor appealed to one of the children who was accusing her dear child she said it is not so there is another judgment dear child and presently they denounced as a witch her husband who stood by her side a week afterward warrants were issued for the apprehension of four other suspected persons and a few days later for three others one of whom philip english was the principal merchant of salem on the same day on the information of one of the possessed girls an order was sent to maine for the arrest of george burroughs formerly a candidate for the ministry at salem village and now minister of wells the witness said that burroughs besides being a wizard had killed his first two wives and other persons whose ghosts had appeared to her and denounced him affairs were in this condition when the king's governor arrived about a hundred alleged witches were now in jail awaiting trial their case was one of the first matters to which his attention was called without authority for so doing 
for by the charter which he represented the establishment of judicial courts was a function of the general court he proceeded to institute a special commission of oyer and terminer consisting of seven magistrates first of whom was the hard obstinate narrow-minded stoughton the commissioners applied themselves to their office without delay their first act was to try bridget bishop against whom an accusation twenty years old and retracted by its author on his deathbed had been revived the court sentenced her to die by hanging and she was accordingly hanged at the end of eight days cotton mather in his account of the proceedings relates that as she passed along the street under guard bishop quote, had given a look toward the great and spacious meeting-house of salem and immediately a demon invisibly entering the house tore down a part of it unquote. it may be guessed that a plank or a partition had given way under the pressure of the crowd of lookers-on collected for so extraordinary a spectacle at the end of another four weeks the court sat again and sentenced five women two of salem and one each of amesbury ipswich and topsfield all of whom were executed protesting their innocence in respect to one of them rebecca nurse a matron eminent for piety and goodness a verdict of acquittal was first rendered but stoughton sent the jury out again reminding them that in her examination in reference to certain witnesses against her who had confessed their own guilt she had used the expression they came among us nurse was deaf and did not catch what had been going on when it was afterward repeated to her she said that by the coming among us she meant that they had been in prison together but the jury adopted the court's interpretation of the word as signifying an acknowledgment that they had met at a witch orgy the governor was disposed to grant her a pardon but paris who had an ancient grudge against her interfered and prevailed on the last communion day before her execution she was taken into church and formally excommunicated by noise her minister in the course of the next month in which the governor left boston for a short tour of inspection in the eastern country fifteen persons six women in one day and on another eight women and one man were tried convicted and sentenced eight of them were hanged the brave giles corey eighty years of age being arraigned refused to plead he said that the whole thing was an imposture and that it was of no use to put himself on his trial for every trial had ended in a conviction which was the fact it was shocking to relate that suffering the penalty of the english common law for a contumacious refusal to answer the paying forte et due he was pressed to death with heavy weights laid on his body by not pleading he intended to protect the inheritance of his children which as he had been informed would by a conviction of felony have been forfeit to the crown there had been twenty human victims corey included besides two dogs their accomplices in the mysterious crime fifty persons had obtained a pardon by confessing a hundred and fifty were in prison awaiting trial the charges had been made against two hundred more the accusers were now flying at high quarries hezekiah usher known to the reader as an ancient magistrate of fair consideration was complained of and mrs thatcher mother-in-law of corwin the justice who had taken the earliest examinations zeal in pushing forward the prosecution began to seem dangerous for what was to prevent an accused person from securing himself by confession and then revenging himself on the accuser by arraigning him as a former ally 
the drunken fever fit was now over and with returning sobriety came profound contrition and disgust a few still held out against the return of reason there are some men who never own that they have been in the wrong and a few men who are forever incapable of seeing it stoughton with his bulldog stubbornness that might in other times have made him a saint dominic continued to insist that the business had been all right and that the only mistake was in putting a stop to it cotton mather was always infallible in his own eyes in the year after the executions he had the satisfaction of studying another remarkable case of possession in boston but when it and the treatise which he wrote upon it failed to excite much attention and it was plain that the tide had set the other way he soon got his consent to let it run at his own pleasure and turned his excursive activity to other objects members of some of the juries in a written public declaration acknowledged the fault of their wrongful verdicts entreated forgiveness and protested that quote, according to their present minds they would none of them do such things again on such grounds for the whole world praying that this act of theirs might be accepted in way of satisfaction for their offence a day of general fasting was proclaimed by authority to be observed throughout the jurisdiction in which the people were invited to pray that quote, whatever mistakes on either hand had been fallen into either by the body of this people or by any orders of men referring to the late tragedy raised among us by satan and his instruments through the awful judgment of god he would humble them therefore and pardon all the heirs of his servants and people unquote. End of section twenty one